my so I put my nightmare in the movie, which is I get married at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Of course, you know, it's a cartoon, but I inspire the scariness. And we have like trolls with red eyes and <laughs> like on the carriage going to St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's so creepy for being a children, a youth animated thing. Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is Nicole Rosson McFarland. Nicole is a film director and a film score composer. The music in this podcast has been shortened for rights reason. You can find the full songs on Spotify under Nicole Rosson McFarland. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The show is also broadcast weekly on Near FM 90.3 and Flirt FM. The title tune is Alice by Lucky Bones. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Sit and talk a while. What uh, well, I was going to say, um, as I say, there's quite a lot about you online, uh, which is all, a lot of very interesting stuff. Um, and uh, one place I'd like to start, because obviously you use, um, I suppose, social media, internet, whatever we want to call it, online uh, in a very clever and uh, way. What, what is, what is uh, social media and online for you? Most companies use it as a tool to only talk about themselves and that's not really the best thing to do because unless you are a Meryl Streep most people don't really care about you and they don't have a reason to care which makes sense because they don't know anything about you so I try to make sure that people are aware of who I really am and are very aware of the things that I am doing but also have an interest in kind of getting to know me so it's an empty person because if you look at one of the things that made many people popular over these years it's and it applies to every profession but particularly within the public eye you look at people who are great directors and their movies sell because people like who they are and the storytelling that aligns with them so it could be somebody like martin scorsese and people love his insights into the new york mafia or things that are very New York uh, that you would only gain from being acquainted with the area. And, you know, Steven Spielberg, his stories of being kind of a dreamer in the best meaning of the word, like um, dreaming about aliens or uh, wanting to know more about dinosaurs and that sort of thing and, and finding material to fit those stories. Um, and that's what I do. And I, I can't, unfortunately, at this moment in time, make all these movies that I would like to make um, but I w- would love to be able to so I, I want to at least kind of open the door that people years from now understand why I wanted to do those things or at least that I have an intent to do that so um, one of the things I always tell people is while right now I have very low budget things and I compose the scores to them which is ironic because I got into this because I wanted to control the scores uh, one of the things I, I did in 2011 was I heard about the adventures of Tintin and I was just kind of in a bad place in my life. I was very sick. 
Um, as I've always told people, when I say very sick, I mean like I had a problem with diabetes. I have very low blood pressure and I was temporarily blind, which is a thing that can happen with diabetes. And I was very sad. People were not hiring me. Um, and, and, you know, due to discrimination and also very bad things. Um, so I went and I was by myself and wrote down the story that is the big bad wolf strikes it rich. Um, and it's a fairy tale cartoon that I wanted to make set in Manhattan. Um, specifically for a reason and this is why i always tell people there's a point to the story um the main character is named aladdin todd jackson and then you say jackson what's the meaning of that peter jackson uh the lord of the rings filmmaker who owns this whole film industry literally um he owns places where you can film um what a digital effects and so many neat things and i want to go make a movie like the adventures of tintin with motion capture animation and uh, that's one of the kind of the goal projects I have. I have other goal projects in mind, but that's kind of the first major hurdle I want to get over is that one. So I hope that um, explains to people who are new to things. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. You're a Renaissance woman. There's so much about you that I like to I like to peel away. If, if I may, may I correct that for a minute? Sure. Okay, so that's one of the, the false perceptions people have as they say Renaissance man and Renaissance woman. Right. Actually, this is all very similar. So it's not that I am a plumber who is a doctor, who's a dentist, who is, you know, carving mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore. I am somebody who writes creative work around uh, music and uh, writing is just like you come up with a story and anyone can do that, whether it's good is another thing or whether it's passionate is another thing but you anyone can do that music anyone can actually write music it's just that like how passionate you are influences the thing but it's kind of connected and people used to write the stories surrounding their music for many centuries so um it's it, i don't know i think it the reason i have an issue with that and it's not you in particular uh-huh. it's just like in general with that phrase is that because it leads to jack of all trades master of none and and it's not that would be true, like I said, were I a dentist who's doing all this stuff, but I'm not a dentist. I'm just only doing this. And um, <laughs> to be a journalist on the side, that's kind of just because that's what I studied. Um, but journalism, when I do it from time to time and I manage my own, um, that kind of goes along with writing. So it's just, and it's very robotic. Um, for anyone who's unfamiliar with journalism, who's listening to this, uh, journalism is like you have an inverted pyramid. And, you know, you have this role and this, it's very like, there, there's no creativity to it. So, um, and then the only creativity you might have is in interviewing people and asking questions, sort of like we're doing now, mm-hmm. you have a bit more room, but journalism is not like a fantastical creative writing. It's very sterile, if anything. And that's kind of one reason I prefer entertainment because if you do mainstream journalism and, and I didn't get hired very often, you know what I mean? Like during, sure. due to sexual harassment, I'm open about that because um, I'm, you know, I'm never going to work at some of these places anyway. So why not tell people the way it is? But um, it, at least at the time for me, but it's it's so like um, impersonal and sterile and, and nasty, even like um, the way these pieces have no hearts, um, you know, like you just write up and this was never something I did, but like uh, so-and-so was murdered today by Central Park and this happened and this, and there's no heart to it or concern for the person. I don't know. I just can't do that. And, and at least I, w- I would do it for the day job, not for my life job, because ugh, 
So anyway, that's what I mean. I, if it, that's that's, it's that's not absolutely like a, funny. Yeah. I tell you, yeah, I tell you where like, I was coming from, and it's a, it's a, I guess it was meant more of um, as a compliment. I guess. Yeah. No, me. like usually people do, but I've had people turn it against me, like, "Oh, that's not." And then she's, it's like, no, no, like anyone can write. From centuries, people wrote, um, and that's kind of a misconception. Outsiders have to all this. It's it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get you. And the, the reason I was saying because I. I, I, I well, it, it, what I meant, I guess, from being from Italy, for me, the Renaissance is, is that creative moment yeah. in, our, in our history that uh, I never even, and I even considered the Jack of all trade bit. If, to my mind, it was very much, the more I read about you, the more I was like, oh, there's so many interesting layers. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They're very, very connected. Your your creativity is connected, whether it's music or films or writing. But it's, it's and it's fascinating what you're saying, that is, um, everybody can write a piece of music, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a technical I, skill to it. So basically, people just have to make sure it adds up. And that's something you or I or anyone can do. You make sure it adds up and that the notes are, you know, not going to clash with each other. And you can double check fingering charts or scales and things like that to make sure they don't clash. Or you can have a computer do it if you're super lazy. And um, that's all it is and then some people are so lazy that they don't want to learn how to do that which is people think it's harder than it actually is so they will loan out the work of composing and stamp their names on the hard work of other people and that's something that happens so frequently that people don't realize is that many of the film scores you think are composed by people are actually composed by people whose names you will never know who will never rise to the top because they're just helpers hmm. it's amazing and then there are people who do compose their work or get a little bit of help from the helpers, but they're not, um, you know, like they're in charge. And that's, I always admire people like that who have control over their legacies and their work. But I mean, if you, if we're talking about, like you mentioned uh, in one of the articles I read, um, Hans Zimmer being one of your, one of your mm-hmm. inspiration or one of the people you look up to or whatever we want to call it. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, amazing art for somebody to be able to like we all know and zoom from so many movies um so that's really uh, that's really the the is that the kind of the the top uh, of uh, film scoring and uh, as opposed to what you just mentioned that that's now kind of almost well, factories of film scoring yeah so that's true and like i said i have a tendency because i'm american like from a northern state to come off a little bit rough how i speak this is thing the westerns have in common with new yorkers we're like hey and we're just like we're being nice and we're constantly screaming it's hilarious <laughs> Um, so I, I don't. One thing I want I want people to say is I think I'm listening to myself. Like, no, I'm not coming off mean. This is how we speak in parts of America. Uh, so anyway, I will to get to your question. Um, it's very much uh, I do admire that he's in charge of everything. But um, one thing that separates him from other people is people are aware of his work and it touches them. Uh, whereas the majority of film score work does not. And it can be very beautiful and, and kind of have a niche interest to people, but most people are unaware of it. And then you have people who work at fast food restaurants who admire everything Hans Zimmer does and um, or, you know, of executives or students. People all have this commonality of his love for his work and they connect with his work. So that's something I always wanted in on. And also he does so much stuff like he sells uh, a, a, these things you can plug into your computer to have instru- artificial orchestra sounds 
uh, for Spitfire Audio. Mm-hmm. He went on tour. He performed at Coachella. He had the first music video on MTV. And he has so many milestones that um, you kind of envy whatever he has. And then uh, like the, the when Harry met Sally thing, she says she wants whatever that woman is having for breakfast there are many people i always use that phrase because there's so many people where i want what they are having for breakfast if it can make (laughs) me more like it's just funny like if they're if he if hans zimmer wants to eat oatmeal for breakfast i'll eat oatmeal you know very good and speaking of music nicole and tell me about um, the first piece of music you picked Okay, so the song that I would like to introduce for people is called I Dreamed I Was Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And it is from a movie that I'm currently working on that I hope will be available in 2021 on streaming or something for people called The Homework's Revenge, Esther in Wonderland. And the song is playing when I talk to a film studio executive about visiting Wonderland. And he tells people, we I only finance people who have been to wonderland he can't finance my movie so i tell him but i have been to wonderland and he's telling me about james cameron went to wonderland christopher nolan went to wonderland because people go to wonderland in their sleep and that's kind of my fascination with this movie uh because i talk about people who get ideas from their dreams and stuff and this music was one night i had tylenol and i have quite an effect with Tylenol and certain medications and mm. over the counter. <laughs> it's a true story. So it's like, imagine if I went to the sixties and imagine how creative I would be. But the truth is it was only Tylenol. And I dreamed, I rewrote the music to pure Gans and I didn't really remember what I did in Wonderland, but I know I went to Wonderland in real life. So I made it into a cartoon. And this is um, part of the music I heard in my dream, like at the beginning of my dream. So uh, the animated version of me goes to Wonderland. And it's fun. Tell me a little bit more about this. The, the movie is coming out in 2021. So again, I read a little bit about it, and um, and I think it, it, you say at some point it's in two layers: is the, um, the 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 homework and the, and, the, and the Wonderland. You tell me a little bit more about it. Is quite autobiographical, obviously. Um, can you tell me a bit more? All right. So the movie kind of splits into two so it, or even you might dare say three so the, it begins where there's an animated version of me the person i am right now telling a story as i said to a film studio executive because i want to go it's based on reality i want to go to mm-hmm. wellington and film at sir peter jackson's mm-hmm. lot and make my movie i don't say what the movie i told your listeners about was because you know nobody needs to know that they can google but mm-hmm. um that's how it begins. And I take him to Wonderland. And then once we get to Wonderland, it's very fast. I start telling the story of a young girl called Esther, who's actually me. But for the sake of the movie, to clarify everything, it's we call her Esther after Esther Dean, who's um, a, a hip hop singer songwriter in real life. Hmm. Um, and I named it after her. So um, then we and then at one point in the story, we fall and it's that's real me. And then we fall into Wonderland again, but it's like Alice, the book. And we follow lots of things from the book. Uh, we use lots of real lines that are said in the book, in the first book. And um, everything 
down to the Mad Hatter, uh, some of the things he says in the movie uh, or come straight from the book. And I alter it a little bit here and there because it's much faster. It has to fit into, since it's me animating by myself, just kind of under an hour, or at least approximately an hour. Mm. But um, it's following most of the points. Um, and then you kind of mix it into me and to Pierre Gantz because Pierre Gantz is a story of trolls. So when we talk about um, To Thyself Be True, which is the main point in the troll story of Pierre Gantz, and um, we visit this kind of fictional black and white land, which is a blend of Hollywood with mountains because it's Troll Mountain. And um, you see building, it's non-existent. So you see like skyscrapers with the Hollywood sign with mountains that are not really there. And um, the trolls are awful, and I'm supposed to marry a troll boy. <laughs> um, and and it's funny because um, I, in real life, I, <laughs> I remember from the moment I first went to Manhattan, and I was a teenage girl, I told people, they asked me, like, oh, yours? Because when I went to Manhattan, I would stay across the street from the St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is this huge cathedral, and it's famous and whatever um and I, I used to tell people i don't know why anyone thinks this is a, a landmark i don't know anyone wants to get married there for me that would be a nightmare it looks like it's scary and gothic and uh like the stuff of medieval nightmares because if you see it in person it doesn't look like the pictures so i remember working out at this gym actually even like four years ago i was working at a gym across the street from st patrick's cathedral in manhattan because i've gone back and forth like and when i don't have a place there we stay at a hotel mm-hmm. and this hotel and i'm like this is so scary this is so creepy i have to use this in a movie one day and i might so i put my nightmare in the movie which is i get married at st patrick's cathedral of course you know it's a cartoon but i inspire the scariness and we have like trolls with red eyes and <laughs> like on the carriage going to st patrick's cathedral it's so creepy for being a children a youth animated thing um i love goth and scary things so even though i'm a kawaii nice young lady person i do love that kind of i don't know what you would call it the, the scary edgy tim burdeny okay side of oh the tim burdeny yeah that's a, that's yeah, a perfect yeah. example i wanted to include that yeah it's it just for um for uh, listeners, and I've, I've watched uh, a couple of your short movies. I mean, when you're talking about cartoon, you do all of that yourself. Am I correct? Yeah. And it, it's quite. Um, I mean, it, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of uh, work. I mean, give me a sense of how long to to put together. This is you say it's about under an hour. Um, uh, animated movie. You're gonna. Well, it might be one hour. Okay. I don't know because I'm trying really hard to finish it. But also in the, the words of some gentlemen I've met who are on the music side of things, whenever I ask them for advice, they say, like, um, if you're having a bad day, don't rush it because that will appear in your work. Don't do this. So I try not to make it bad. And also sometimes things happen like, um, oh, uh, the other day, um, a toilet broke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't animating when there's a broken toilet and the plumber <laughs> needs to come you know I, I i can't so things happen and then it's for the best because then the next day you usually have your marbles all in the right place in your head so it's it's very it also depends on the type of animation but if i may detract for a minute back to why i love hans Zimmer and gentlemen of the film entertainment business i would like to say something about 
what people don't know about the exploitation of workers. Hmm. So, um, and then goes back to why I animate my own work and why I'm so involved and in, in want to kind of be like Peter Jackson and have my businesses. Okay, so what many people don't realize is that when they see Western world, meaning like English language, German, French, whatever, the movies are often animated or at least pieced together with artistry from people who are severely underpaid. So that could be people in Slovakia, could be people in India or other countries. And um, some people work by the day in India or wherever it is. But these people are reaping not only lots of money from, say, a studio or whoever it may be or, or fundraisers to exploit these people who are very talented artists and don't deserve that. But they are also taking credit from these people and then labeling this is an Irish film. And it's mm. actually made by people in Eastern Europe for who knows what. I don't know what they paid people to do the music, but they were certainly... When I was reading that, like, um, how much do they pay these workers? And there are certain films where I find out um, they take it a step further. Like I said, filming with the exploitation of workers in India or in South Asia, the Philippines and those places. Um, and, and people look at them and say, oh, yeah, this is great. But they don't know about what's going on. So I want to have a film studio like Sir Peter Jackson where um, and, and ideally we could have branches everywhere. But um animated by people who know what's going on and also who are not exploiting labor. And that's the other thing when I say not knowing what's going on, there's so many people who don't know anything about animation or 3d special effects or anything. And they are actually 3d special effects. Like what Sir Jackson does are actually forms of um, animation. It's just mm -hmm. called something else because it's for the intention of live action workers, uh, you know, actors performing on camera with animation but it's animation um and and that's kind of when i want to shake up the industry and hold it upside down and say you know like um hey you need to stop doing this let's put money where it needs to go and pay people fairly and make sure they get lunch breaks and then all kinds of cool stuff that i want to do so wonderful um there, there's a lot more to this than me just saying oh let's animate by myself yeah. and be like an edgy person because it's important but there's so much business backstory to that. That's kind of like, it's a well-rounded, um, I guess, a, a journey, mm. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. But just before uh, I ask you about the next song, uh, the, this thing about the exploitation of uh, workers in, in the industry, whether Eastern Europe or, or Asia, I, I, I'm not a, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about the, the, the industry to, to validate or validate. How, when can people where, where can people get uh, information on that? I mean, is the, is it documented that this is happening? Oh, well, or? it's not that well documented. And were I a journalist, I would cover it. But mm. you see, I find out about this because whenever I talk to people um, with my friends, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or on behalf of different people, like how much would you charge us if we were to fundraise and uh, get you a, a, a quote, um, hire your staff or whatever i hear answers and i mm. i'm gonna pull one up for you so hold on give me my email i actually saved this one in case i have to use it for a business meeting but no it's obviously as you know as a journalist you need to validate the stories and i'm sure you yeah, have but obviously no, no, no. and, and it's important this, too and i'm trying to find a specific email oh yeah it says here mm. hi nicole thank you for getting in touch i'm sorry but this is not something I do myself. In the past, I have outsourced 3D character animation to India. Mm -hmm. 
And I get that sample type letter all the time. Sure. And and I have like all these facts and they talk about um are they outsourcing for the great artistic talent or is it because the average monthly Slovakian salary according to our research is 800 US dollars equal to 612 pounds. Sure. Um and I talk about the differences the inadequacies and I quote British GQ about um you know like the, the British average monthly salary is 2340 pounds. Um and you know like we it's all detailed, like whether I actually use that for a business meeting, I don't know, but <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, just to, just to make it to understand, yeah. because obviously um, it's one it's thing. It's not to, researched. It's not no, no, out no. there. That's fine. Yeah. No, but it's one thing to, to have um, a, a, a decision made on a, on a, on a lower uh, payment, uh, which it right. might not necessarily be exploratory, but you know, look, it's not for, for us. It's not for me anyway, to, to, <laughs> to, to decide on this call because I, I, I'm not an authority in it. And, uh, and uh, but and I take your point that um, yeah sometimes it's uh, and you, and also if yeah. you tell people that you're going to have a movie animated in Slovakia or India or wherever that's perfectly fine if you pay the people and also the people dare I might say have some input because actually you could capitalize on the beautiful artistry from Bollywood and some of these things and instead you're just kind of directing them to that's another thing most people don't care about the films that they make and that's kind of like what i hope i have in common with sir jackson is that um mm. the people who see you know king kong that he made and they can tell he really loves king kong or lord of the rings and these things um versus this feeling of it almost being like a mcdonald's burger that's just mass-produced <laughs> cinema and that's what we get so frequently um and and, and also the theme of trying to appeal to everyone all around the world of every demographic is just absurd so um there's so many complicated issues within this um, it sounds like but tell me about yeah. your second song then uh, nicole please okay uh why don't we do the duchess of nightmares which is <laughs> actually a song that i wrote when i was i i can't remember if i was 13 or 12 or something like that maybe 11 i don't know sometimes i want to say 12 mm-hmm. and in america when you're 12, you enter a new school, you go to a junior high and you're in seventh grade. So it's different than in Canada or other countries. I had entered a new school and I was just having fun. And um, I, I didn't call it that, but I wrote this song on my keyboard at my house. And I ended up using it for an animated short. But I, I used to tell myself, I'm going to use this in a film one day. And it's just a piano song. And I hope it's very tongue twisty. Like imagine a tongue twister uh, that is you cannot say very well but or at least maybe other people can't but you can say very well that's what this is it's like huh you think that you're great i wrote this tongue twister song and it's actually a hand twister and it goes up and down and you basically split your fingers playing it only i can play it in my 12 year old self brain set <laughs> So again, you have, um, you have a few shorts out there. You're working on this, but I read somewhere, and then really that caught my eye that you, uh, if you know, obviously you're you're self-funding, you're doing crowdfunding, you're doing all sorts of things to no, get. No, I your... haven't done any yet. I haven't. I want. I intend to, which is a okay. different thing. Okay. Yeah. 
So, but you you don't have um, oh, I'm, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. You don't have millions coming to you to produce in, in no. the next. No, okay. okay. <laughs> I want so, to. <laughs> I yeah, I read I somewhere that they, you say something like, hey, "Come, give me a go. I have, I have, I have the talent. You just need to need to believe in me, and I'll, I'll get it done. You know, so hire me, and yeah. I get it done." Um, but one thing you said, and it, that was really interesting. You're talking about. Um, something that you want to uh, cover in a man's journey from normalcy into homelessness. I thought that was a fantastic idea. Uh, is it something you're working on? Is it something you want to work on soon? Or Okay, so that is actually a project that I wanted to make in Britain or Ireland. And um, that won't happen immediately because um, we need to set up a company and improve ourselves with animation and stuff. But it's also a story that thankfully can take place in any time period. So um, I want it to take place in the past and, um, you know, move through different decades um, and kind of show people that homelessness can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, because if you think about it, it's a question I've, I've all my life, long before I met homeless youth, um, it was a question I had in my mind that what separates us is circumstance. So why me? Um, and, and I would see people, not anyone I would really connect with, but just kind of um, in the, the big city in America who were homeless. Mm -hmm. And then I remember uh, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, I, I didn't know this man's name, but there's this particular homeless man I, I knew of in Midtown Manhattan because one time he um, asked me for money. Um, but in a way, like he presented himself as a very clean, well-spoken gentleman and um like he's not dressed in a creepy way but i know he's homeless and then he he told me like can you spare me some change young lady for getting you know he got me a ride home and i i told him like i hardly have any cash today is the one day i have cash and i gave him cash um and and so anyway i i heard i went to another city and um i heard this girl making fun of that exact exact same guy because um, she was talking about, you know, he looks like this, he's dressed like that, he's like this. And he's one of the things he I saw him doing when I went on vacation to New York City was he was selling plush toys. Um, and, and he and then I saw him at night and he was wearing like, you know, whatever, you know, fine clothing and getting the rides for people. So it's, it's always fascinated me that some because, you know, some people who are really bad people are not homeless. Or, or they're vain or shallow or they make horrible lifestyle decisions uh, and you don't understand the circumstances it's almost like what separates a homeless cat from a, a cat who was pampered and or plucked from a shelter like what what intervenes in that and also once i started i, I met a homeless youth uh and and this young girl it was a young trans girl and i bald um because i i couldn't understand what made her different than me and you know that she reminded me of my friends i would have had with the exception that she was trans everything else would have been like the young people i would have known in in the midwest and i i heard her speaking and i said like this is a western girl what's she doing here in this other side of the country and then she was homeless and she asked me to buy her pizza um and i got her a pizza slice or something like i gave i i don't know hopefully enough for like a slice and a drink or whatever, but it was just mm. bizarre. And, and um, then I started noticing when I went out from that moment on more homeless youth who reminded me of my friends. And I noticed the differences about them is because when you look for them and you, you don't, 
you're normalized not to look for these young, young people. So you go by a bit about your day and you're like, oh, I need a job. I need this, so whatever. And you just kind of look, can you see they're homeless? But you're not used to noticing them. So I just started noticing young people everywhere. And, and because I used to automatically presume like most homeless were, even though I read statistics, most were like veterans or elderly or whatever. And I would just notice these young people who were like 11, 15 or 13, and they were all friends with each other, or at least if not friends, uh, fending off for themselves. Uh, in in different cities or downtowns, and you mm. know, I one time saw these uh, teenage, young end of teenage people, uh, banding together to wash cars, um, just on the side of the highway, and it's um, absurd that they're not in school or they don't have um, anyone. Like you wonder what they're running away from, and so. Um, you know, and then I met this woman who, um, you know, you can read her information if you Google and all this stuff. And she writes in, in um, a bunch of places, like 17 in these places. And I wish I haven't spoken to her in so long that I would love to get you her name. But I, she's on my social media friends. Mm-hmm. And I wrote her a note because and then when she added me as a friend and we I talked with her a little um, because uh, she, I wrote her after reading an article and she talks about she was a homeless youth in Los Angeles um, and she would she ran away from her home and she was running for public office I think she may have been elected to a small public office, I don't know I would have to, like I said I, I didn't prepare for this at all to, That's so, okay. but That's it's an honest okay. question, yeah yeah so people want to Google, you can look at her up in 17 these places and she talks about running away um, and, and the horrible things that happened to her when she was a homeless youth just on Skid Row in Los Angeles mm. um, and things that you don't think about because you're a teen girl or teen boy or like, you know, trans and gay youth are frequently the ones who run away. And you don't think and you, know, you think you're just escaping, but you're actually getting into problems like being assaulted, um, people forcing drugs on you, physically harming you. Um being forced against your will to enter sex work and these horrible things. So it's, 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 that's not the story angle I want to take with this British film, but it's kind of the inspiration in the way behind it, because I wanted to have a story about people who see a man's fall from grace, because you know what I mean? Like he would have everything and something has to happen to him that he's homeless. And then he's just, people think that he's like trash and that he's, you know, they don't see a person there. They just see a statistic of this random person. They want to take it back to show people how that happens. And that's going to be very hard. Um, it, it's not just, you know, that's one of the things about going back to what I told you earlier in the interview about you can write a story, but whether it's any good, mm-hmm. that's another thing. Sure, yeah. yeah. But uh, would, would, I think it's a fantastic idea. And um, was, would it... It would, would it be animated or would it be? No, live action. Yeah. Live action, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you run into things like period pieces and, you know, uh, making sure it looks accurate for the time and, and fact checking and things like that. Because in my mind, I want him to be in the war. And then mm-hmm. I want him to come from the war and he all the stuff slowly happens to him and he becomes homeless. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Tell me about song number three, Nicole, and then I'm going to ask you something else. Okay. Why don't we do the Grey Tabby Treasure Cats? Mm-hmm. And that is taking place when we meet 
my real life cat who's animated into the movie and he is the treasure cat it's not the exact moment but it's kind of right afterwards and um they get dragged into dunked actually into the water and he takes me on a journey to go meet walt disney and um for the sake of this is a true story um you don't actually know how your work will be perceived so there's there are people who i know won't have a problem with me referencing them in the movie um or just because i know they're more lenient but the disney company is one of those things where i know that things can be a little bit questionable and I, I don't want them to think that I'm capitalizing on his fame or his name or anything. So um, my little references to Walt Disney in this movie, and there are several, uh, are about just calling him Walt. Uh, and we get to meet Walt briefly the first time in the scene underwater. We go uh, and we talk about we swim to Walt's castle and then we go into the 1920s to a laughogram, which is actually um, in my version it's not a real Walt Disney laughogram. It's uh, inspired by his old black and white Mickey cartoons. And it's about a whale who eats us. And, you know, we don't die. You know, you know the treasure cat and I go in the whale, like in Pinocchio. So you have a wealth of ideas and loads of stuff that you you can and you are putting into into movies, uh, whether animated or live action or all of that. But it, the the industry is what it is, and and then it's um, I don't know how bad it's been affected by um, by the coronavirus, but. What is the the dream and what? But not, actually, I wouldn't call it a dream because. But talking to you, you you pretty much set goals and visions, and you go for it. So it's not more. It's more than a dream. So you kind of know exactly what you're going to do in the next couple of years. What is uh, what are you going to do? What's the the big thing? Okay, so um, right now, as I'm talking to you and all these people who are listening, and this is almost feeling like a time capsule because we will see how this turns out, but. Right now, everyone thinks movie theaters are going to die and it will be a fun experience, like a novelty people will have someday, possibly if they do. But that's just not going to be a regular part of life anywhere that you have a cinematic experience. And as I'm talking to you all this week, we have things like Christopher Nolan, who actually I like him uh, a lot. Uh, he's talking about how upset he is. But then we also have things like um, a lawsuit against... Um, warner brothers so taking it a step further than mr nolan uh, with people suing because they financed two movies and then they're just going straight to streaming which um i don't see the problem other than you're going to make instead of a whole heap of many many millions you're just going to make some many many millions so uh, and then you know mr nolan his beef is that it's no longer going to be a cinematic experience and that's his whole thing and people are going both ways on him some meaner than the others but okay and um so he, when i say ungrateful he's not the people i'm referring to but there are mm -hmm. other people who are writing anonymously online and that sort of thing and i'm and i know, get the feeling they're involved in this and i'm calling them ungrateful and also the people with the lawsuit i don't know how to perceive that i think 
if we fall to thyself be true from a movie i will say they're all so ungrateful because there's a worldwide pandemic and people should not die to see your movies Hmm. um and also if in the future movies are no longer a thing that you see and in in a big room with speakers and whatever um wouldn't you rather be a working actor or working film director etc than an unemployed film star from the past you know like you have to adapt the way people did into um, movies with sound which were called speakies versus the silent films you don't want to be the washed up silent film star who's ranting on and on like why do movies have to have sound so i don't want to be like those people one of the things i put out yesterday's um i I put on twitter and then i put it everywhere like the, the picture of my tweet Oh, and I'll read it to you. For every angry person upset, he slash she will no longer see huge paydays cut from box office percentages. Hello, studios and streaming networks. My many social media friends and I who are newer filmmakers, actors and cast and crew will all work for you, replacing ungrateful people. Because it's a fact that I think that's going to be one of my new goals is to replace these people who are the modern equivalent of silent film stars who can't handle that they're a sound. Um, mm. You know, ungrateful people, ungrateful in the sense that they're so accustomed to earning and very big money. You look at people, you know, like you compare this to Shrek 2 and things like that. You can look up statistics. That was one of the first movies that had actors. Yeah, I think it's the first movie, one of the major ones that had actors and actresses earning a percentage of the box office receipts. Mm-hmm. And that's no longer going to happen. And people are blowing a fuse because it's like, oh, instead of me getting a 15 million upwards back end of the box office, I'm going to only earn these millions. You know, said in a time when people are ill, dying, concerned about their futures, unemployed, and unable to pay rent, unable to buy food. Um, it's just so out of touch. And there's a way to handle it. Um, if you notice, many of the, I guess you would call them leaders or elders of the film world mm-hmm. are either silent or waiting it out or something because they're more tasteful gentlemen. Um, but, you know, some of these younger people who are like, let's have a lawsuit or whatever. It's just, I mean, even though I love their work, it's in such bad taste. Not Mr. Nolan, because he's not, he's not suing. But the other people, and then just wait, many more lawsuits are going to come out. Just wait. Mm. Um, more angry rants and out-of-touch people. Like, if I'm, I'm pretty sure, certain if you personally were able to choose between, and I might ask you, do you want to earn $5 million or do you want to earn $30 million? You will still say that $5 million is a good day, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd be, okay, I'd be $5 million US today, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And during yeah. a pandemic when nobody's working, I would feel so blessed to have that money. Sure. You know, it's just amazing. So, um, but one of the things we're doing is um, I was naturally kind of interested in streaming anyway, because it's so low cost um, is, is going to set up, I guess you would say crowdfunding and fundraising to have, um, local actors and local stories, so whether that would be the Western America or um, British cinema and Irish stories and things like that. Uh, and New Zealand would be cool if we can get that in. That's our goal, but I don't 
know we'll mm-hmm. achieve it in 2021 but um like after i put out my wonderland movie to start fundraising for these localized stories that would be in shorts and features and things like that and um just send them straight to streaming so mm-hmm. like if they go right to amazon or apple or whatever it may be send them there mm-hmm. and um you know go from there and then, you know, ideally, I like I said, my biggest hurdles I want to jump over would be to start with going down to New Zealand and making the big bad wolf strikes it rich. And I don't actually know how I would do that. But just because it's come like, um, I don't know, it's like a symbol of something for me. And also, I think it's one of those things that is, um, I would like to take it back to the 90s because when I wrote it, it was not set in the 90s. It would be more fun. But it's just so localized. Like, I'm not from New York, but I'm so familiar with Manhattan and these men I was meeting who were like the big bad wolf stockbroker. Ironically, not named after the Leo DiCaprio wolf of Wall Street. That's a different (laughs) story. Mine is like um, inspired by men I would be meeting and also just like little elements of myself making fun of myself because at the time, if I'm being completely honest, nobody wanted to hire me for a mix of sexual harassment. And also people thought, you know, there was the gossip chain and people were, I didn't agree to be harassed by would spread rumors about me to try to get me from being hired. And I was very much the big bad wolf. Like we start the story, he's accused of a crime of murdering these three little pigs and he actually didn't do it because then he's presenting receipts, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been in that position and he's constantly getting fired and, and all this stuff. And it deals with money, uh, you know, like, and how he goes from, that to inventing his brand and being like uh, this is all way before I did that by the way like with myself um, <laughs> yeah it's a long long story but it's, um, you know I want to take this little story that I wrote and make it into something bigger than it was I just wanted to have the blueprint there to be able to do that because I knew the book wouldn't sell that well when it came out um Mm. It was just an idea to have it there. Okay. So just um, just one quick thing before I ask you about the uh, book and then we kind of finish it off. But just in terms of streaming directly, you have quite a lot of, uh, like I, I don't remember the exact number, but a lot of hits on both YouTube for your movies and uh, and uh, Spotify for your music. It's quite, quite significant. But I spoke to quite a few musicians on this podcast, and and at the moment, Spotify does not pay well enough. You know the comparison between the number of um, streams and what you actually get in your in your in your pocket is quite uh, disproportionate. And um, how are you finding all of that in terms of financing your art? Okay, so to begin with, my art is very cheap. Um, mm-hmm. The costs are the album release. And pretty much nothing else. Mm. Um, so, like, I made the instrument packs myself from young people playing instruments some years ago. I want to upgrade to Spitfire Audio, but it's not really a cost for me. With the filmmaking, it's free. And the only thing... That's one reason I want to crowdfund is so I can pay actors. Um, and, and you know, I don't want to take money from my parents. You know, I'm 33. I'm going to be 34 in 2021. I don't want to do that. I don't want to take money from um you know people who would want to date me if they think i've been in that situation many times before that you know oh i will invest in your company and then the um you know the i guess the 
underlying message is we should date and I'm not <laughs> going to do that. So um, it, it's very cheap. And I, I want to kind of expand from there. But um, and also just because I have such trouble, I'll get to the Spotify rights in a minute, but <laughs> I have such trouble sourcing people to animate for me from outside companies that I don't want to hire outside people unless it's me working. One of the things I'm really passionate about is finding artists who need a break. So um, one of the things I wanted to do is work with artists, teaching them not the animation itself, but just like how to draw backdrops and, and, and find a tattoo parlor, which I've talked with different ones in Scotland um, for a Scottish movie and things like that. And I want to end up hiring tattoo artists because they're just not very frequently used and uh, they're, amazingly talented and, and um, won't, they won't have any art to leave the world once the people they've worked on have died and also um, you know there's this controversy over tattoos and whether that's art and that sort of thing and this is, this is like this there's not a question if it's art if it's a film you know it's like it's legitimate art and and they were born to be artists and more than I am I think um, I'm learning the skills and stuff but I think art is something you have to be born with and in the build upon whereas I'm like a music person who learned how to animate um, but the actual in US dollars for anyone who's curious based on my streams because I am not Taylor Swift because Spotify pays people like Pharrell Taylor Swift Diddy whoever much higher I wouldn't say much but higher rates than this because this is the average rate for a person who is not Taylor Swift. Okay, so US dollars. Point mm -hmm. to zero. Yep. Point zero zero one seven nice. per stream. Okay. Okay. So if you times that times, let's see, ten thousand streams, mm -hmm. I came up with seventeen dollars right now. Okay. <sighs> so that's what people are dealing with. And it's not really a means of income. And also in addition to you're always talking about social impacts on these media pieces i guess nowadays like what do film and, and and music people want to do for social impact and one of the things that i would like to do in addition to um kind of telling people about my personal experiences being bombarded with sexual harassment and being open about it is um the other side which is when they're not sexually harassing you people heavily discriminate against people in the performing arts for day jobs so that runs into things like um men and women straight gay bi trans not trans whatever they don't care because if people find out you're an actor uh you know a set designer a cameraman or whatever it is they don't want to hire you even though you need the money and you are a harder working individual than the people who are just floating around being career journalists or whatever they are um it's particularly in america it's very widespread britain has a little bit more lenient viewpoints and that's one reason i kind of want to be more global and like um be an expat and hop around i i wrote this down the other day that i wish i would live in vancouver um in, in in somewhere in the uk somehow flop between vancouver new zealand uk and maybe australia like maybe because i just want to be with more like-minded people and nothing against america but you know um where i'm from in america is not really america and that's what I've learned in my journey of life is America is beautiful and it's a quilt and whatever, but that doesn't mean I want to live in every side of the quilt. And I'm from a, I'm very proudly Midwestern, but I wish my passport would say Midwestern. <laughs> and, you know, 
from Illinois, which is a separate country, which belongs to the same country as New York, but it's not the same country as the rest of America. That's how I feel. Um, and, and so anyway, um, with discrimination, narrow-minded people, they just go like, oh, Stacy is an actress. There's no way she could be a programmer, a dental hygienist, uh, a journalist, whatever it is, or, or Tim or whatever your name is. Mm. And um, those people are only good for working at Starbucks, serving coffee, making sandwiches. And that's if they're lucky because I've met quite a few people who work at gas stations or, you know, working at bars or, you know, um, it, I mean, I've even met people who are thinking about doing OnlyFans because of being severely unemployed. And, un- and that's another discussion for itself about sexism and all that and whether women should do that. But to begin with, I will clarify many people who go into adult work do it because they're so destitute for money and nobody hires them. So they just see it as a quick jump. And, and that's another thing in itself, how it comes back to haunt you and whether that's right or wrong to haunt you. But that's the gist of it. And I want people to be able to find jobs. And um, I always say I don't know what that is right now. So if it could be to help people become entrepreneurial with an Etsy store, eBay store, making things, starting their own companies or whatever, that's the only choice. Because if you don't work for yourself, in some respect, whether it's you just selling corn on the cob to people through home catering, whatever it is, then your only choice will be to make adult entertainment or to collect unemployment or these things that I don't think, you know, if you're going to do those things, they should come from a better place than this. And people don't realize how widespread that is. And like I said, the America is the worst part for discrimination against the performing arts. Because at least in Britain, I know that some people get day jobs or corporate jobs and I've met them. But here, no. Good luck. Like if you're an actor, you're not going to work in an office and it doesn't matter if you have a master's degree. It's sad. Wow. Um, uh, that's it. That's it. It's, it's potentially a whole new podcast all, all about that. Yeah. It's something that is, obviously you're very passionate about it. and uh, Because it's affected me. It's a person yeah, affected me. It. And the difference is that I didn't agree to do some of the things. And it's not from a moral high ground. It's just like, it's not for me. I'm not going to be an adult entertainer. Mm-hmm. Now, or, or some of these other things that people do. That's not for me. I'm not going to marry for money or or emphasis on marrying for money someone i don't like and that's and it's in this cartoon many people have it's in the cartoon it's like if you want to be like james cameron you have to get married um by and a troll is saying that to me because i don't i have long wanted to be like james cameron and hans Zimmer and peter jackson and, and and those are my favorites and uh i'm not going to get married to do that and and the other choice is you know like take money from left and right from everyone you're related to or friends with and I don't want to do that. And, and, and everything's about involving your morals in some way and losing them. And I don't want to do that. I'm not the most morally sound person, but there's a piece of me who is um, not going to do many things. And, and I don't think I should have to take off my clothes to make money you know what i mean like absolutely is- absolutely absolutely yeah. no uh, look i appreciate your um your um your sharing that so as i said we could we could get into it in, in a completely that would be a completely different conversation i will um who knows we might do it again uh, but uh, yeah. for the moment I, I i was really keen to understand um where all this passion was coming from and, and the art you're producing and 
And you know, it's fascinating. And as I said, there's a, there's a lot more that I could ask you, but um, we're kind of we're, we're a bit tight for time. And I just wanted to ask you uh, the, the last thing before we go. And uh, I always ask somebody to give me an idea of their their favorite book or a book that they can recommend it for whatever reason. Have you have you a book in mind? Yeah, everyone always asks me that, and including in person, and I always tell them the diary of Anne Frank, because it's so sad, but at the beginning, it's not sad, and it's very funny. That's one reason it kind of inspires my work, is because when you read the diary versus just kind of knowing about the Holocaust and all that stuff, you get to meet the person, and then it falls into the things that happen to her, and you care more because you've met the person, you've met Anne, who likes to make fun of the boys at school, and she's mean to the girls, and, and she has friends she's silly with, and... You know, one of the things that connects with her is um, I, in addition to many things, um, she's accused of leaving hairs in the sink because I have really long hair and it's real hair. It's on extensions. I've always had really long hair um, apart from like learning about wigs and extensions and testing them on myself. It's real. So my hair comes in the sink and then I just um, I, I'm always cleaning it. <laughs> um, and then occasionally I've had situations where I, I will leave a hair or whatever. And, um, you know, like, um a friend will say, you left hairs in the sink. Get this out of here. And it's a guy, you know, like it's always a male friend or, or usually mm-hmm. who is visiting the house or, you know, like I, um, lots of my friends are queer. So let's just be honest. In case people have the wrong idea of me having like 65,000 boyfriends, they're like gentlemen who are <laughs> not interested. And, and they're like, because they have short hair, they're astonished to see hairs in the sink. And they're like, what is this? It's like cousin it. And it's like, no, it's just, I'm sorry. I hope to hair in the sink. Um, so, but there are also many things that I relate to about Anne Frank. And then you read the things about her, uh, just g- that she's, you know, like she wants to explore her sexuality and her gender or whatever. Things that are so relatable to young people now. And, and um, I read that one of the things at the time was, um, I don't remember if it was her father, but people were objecting to publishing the book. Uh, and I'm glad they did not refuse. You know, they, they didn't say, let's not publish this because um, that we were able to have it because it shows you young people are the same, you know, like she has posters of movie stars. Uh, and then she's more than a Jewish identity book um, or European identity or World War II character. She's a real person. So I don't know. I just love that book. And you read it every year. I have a copy on my iPad. I don't have a physical copy. I had one at school, and I, you know, I just love reading it, even though it's so sad. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's what I love about this podcast. That um, everybody sees things in a complete different way, and then you know, I'm never gonna read Anne Frank, Anne Frank in the same way now. When I pick it up again, yeah, she's be really easy. relatable. She's almost like a Lizzie McGuire <laughs> character, but wow. real, like a, a real Lizzie McGuire who happened to live during the Holocaust. It's quite a different setting then we paint it fascinating well nicole um as i said i could talk to you all day you have <laughs> a fascinating story and a lot more to, that we could uh, go into but um it's been an absolute pleasure and i hope um i hope uh, your all your actions and goals because as i said they're not dreams you're going to do all of this stuff in, what, in new zealand <laughs> in, in in britain or wherever you're going to be and they'll happen very soon because um, I love to see the, the movies that you have in your head being produced oh, very you. soon. And uh, so thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope people learned a lot from this and learned about me 
and things they didn't know. Maybe we'll look at, <clears throat> I guess, equality of workers and some of the things I've touched upon. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll put all the, the links to your uh, website and all your social media on the show notes. So if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about your, your uh, production company and, and everything else, they can, they can find the links and, and follow you on there. Yeah, that'd be great. Hi, Nicole. Have a, have a great day. Is it day or night or whatever? Day. <laughs> it's nearly night for me. So have a fantastic day and uh, I'll let you know as soon as it comes out. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Bye now. But if I meet you somewhere far down the line, the sun still shines in your hair, I kiss you once, then I'll Yeah, if I meet you someplace far down the line The sun still shines in your face I'll kiss you once, then I'll say goodnight Then I'll say goodnight